and welcome back to another episode of Romance and Color. I am your host, Tati Richardson, Tatiana Richardson, um, and we are back with another uh, episode in our Writing in Color series. This week, we talked to author Lisa Rain, who is a four-time Emma Award-winning novelist of romantic suspense, contemporary romance, and thrillers. Um, she is a former lawyer, now high school teacher, um, with a degree in comparative lit. And we talk a lot about uh, what makes her romance unique and special, why so many lawyers make great romance novelists, not to mention um, her passion for advocacy and uh, mainstream uh, romance fiction and not pigeonholing black romance um, into a certain uh, area in romance. So it was a wonderful conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. Stay tuned to my conversation with author Lisa Rain. Hi, Miss Rain. How are you doing today? I am doing so good. Now tell me, do people call you Michelle or TM or I like I don't know what to call you. You can call me Tati. Everybody calls me Tati, so it's it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah. <laughs> everybody calls me Tati. So does everybody call you Lisa or Miss Rain or Oh what? Lisa's fine. Lisa Lisa's um, fine. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to be formal <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay. So thank you for joining us here on Romance and Color. Um I'm so excited to talk to you about your work and your writing and your process and everything. And so to give a greater insight to what you do in the romance world and your impact um, here in the romance world. And so I just want to get started with some basics. Um, can you tell my audience, um, how'd you get started in romance and when did you fall, first fall in love with like romance novels? I started reading romance novels in high school. And it's actually an interesting story because I started reading them really on a challenge from a friend. Um, I've always been a bookworm, but I read thrillers and um, his um, horror. I, I discovered Stephen King in high school. I read, um, you know, those kinds of books. And mm -hmm. I had a friend who constantly read romance novels <laughs> and I would chide her about it because she wasn't a lightweight. I mean, she was a scholar, um, high in the class rank and all of that. And I was like, what are you doing reading these romance novels? How come you always reading these romance novels? And one day she kind of got tired of me picking at her <laughs> about her romance novels and said, well, have you ever read one? And I had to admit I hadn't. And so she said, if I pick one out for you, will you read it? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I like a challenge. I'm like, sure, I like to read, why not? Let me see what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And she handed me a historical romance novel by mm -hmm. the queen of romance, Kathleen Woodowis. Oh, and it yeah. was called Shauna. And mm -hmm. I read that entire thick novel in a weekend and <laughs> wow. I was pretty much hooked from that moment on. So mm -hmm. I pretty much blame Helen 
And then <laughs> as time progressed, I, I branched out and discovered um, contemporary romance. And I like romantic suspense. It's probably one of my favorite romance genres. And I read a lot of romantic suspense, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know that you have a background in law and um, a degree in contemporary, um, comparative lit, excuse me. And so how do you kind of, how do those things kind of mesh with your own writing and when you're in, in creating? Because I, I tend to find that lawyers, I've, I've, every, I've interviewed a lot of romance writers who are lawyers. And uh-huh. I'm like, what is the connection? Like, why, why are there so many romance writers that are lawyers? But you know, they make I the thought best it, romance writers. Right. And I thought it was odd, too, because I thought I was going to be an odd duck, right? <laughs> and, and I get here, and there's all these lawyers. And in fact, some of my favorite you know, writers, I'll find out they used to be lawyers. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I tell people for me is that the law I practiced, it was corporate law, high level, Fortune 500 type companies, big companies, big deals, or big fights over trademarks or copyrights, because I did some intellectual property work primarily. And when you have a kind of job where you're paid to help people fight each other. (laughs) When you go home, you don't want to read the heavy stuff, Mm. right? You want something that's going to make you feel good, that allows you to escape, where you can believe in happily ever after and people are good at heart. And I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed reading it so much. Mm -hmm. And I in elementary school and in middle school, wrote a lot of poetry. And then when I went to college, because I was a reader and a writer, comparative literature just made sense for me. And Mm -hmm. for comp lit, you read and write, but you also have to read and write in foreign languages. So you had to have a dominant language and a second language. My dominant language was French. And I spent my junior year abroad in France. And my second language was Spanish. And so I spent Mm -hmm. the summer after in Madrid, Spain. And for a long time, I actually was fluent in French and Spanish. I can't anymore because I don't use it. Um, (laughs) I still read it pretty well, but Mm -hmm. I don't use it. And I keep saying I have to fix that. But that interest in literature and analyzing and getting into that, it does something to you as a reader Right. So when I was transitioning from a high level corporate job and working from home for myself in a consulting practice and trying to solo parent two children, Mm -hmm. there was a part of me that got hooked into romance reading again, Mm -hmm. because when I was practicing, it was hard to read for pleasure. And one day I was like, you know, I always thought I would write one of these. I should write one of these, right? (laughs) And and so believe it or not, it was really that simple for me. Mm -hmm. And I think the connection for me was the first story idea I had turned into my first novel, Counselor Undone, 
which as the title suggests, <laughs> the hero <laughs> is a lawyer. Right. And as it turns out, so is the heroine. Right, right, right. So you kind of stuck to kind of the subject matter that you knew, but exactly. expanded on it. Uh, on it. So talk to me about like the transition from uh, lawyer to romance writer. What was kind of besides the impetus to write something because you were a fan of the genre? Right. You know, how did you get started? Like, were you like in mentoring groups? Did you join immediately? Join like an RWA chapter? Was like, you know. I want to hurry up and get started. Let me learn everything about romance writing there is to know. Or you just jump in head first and was like, let me see what happens. <laughs> I did not jump in head first. I am the I have the type of personality where I like to survey the land and learn stuff and research. And mm-hmm. I did a lot of that on my own. What's the genre like? What would I write? And I did some research on the publishers who were at the top of the industry at the time. So -hmm. this would have been around 2011-ish, 2012, Mm -hmm. looking at what they published, what they were looking for, who was out there. And in fact, the idea for Counselor Undone came from a call for manuscripts from Avon. Uh, I had joined some groups online that talked about who were aspiring authors and we basically shared information about what were we doing what we're writing who we want to publish with what information do you have about the editors over there that kind of information Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I found out about where you can find where editors post what they're looking for and sometimes publishers have these lists of we were looking for stories that have x and Avon had put out a call Mm -hmm for some stories and they were looking for stories and I actually saw it after the deadline had passed to Mm. submit a story but one of the calls stood out to me which was about a holiday and it was supposed to be about a holiday gone wrong tell us about that holiday where everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong but somewhere out of that you get your happily ever after And I read that and immediately, it like just immediately popped into my head, the Mm -hmm. opening and the story, main storyline for Counselor Undone. And there are a couple who meet on New Year's Eve at a party and end up with a little mistaken identity thing going on (laughs) and, you know, uh, champagne being accidentally dropped on dresses and wardrobe malfunctions is like a big brouhaha. And then we get into what the rest of the story was. So even right. though I couldn't make the call, I got a story idea out of it. And then mm-hmm. I just went ahead and developed that story. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop there because I didn't have anywhere to submit it. Mm-hmm. And I am based in Kansas City, Missouri. And I... <sighs> I don't know if you believe in sort of like divine providence speaking oh, things into existence absolutely. and you know asking God for something and waiting to hear the voice and oh, yes. I mm-hmm. I I was waiting for this sign that I wasn't losing my mind right lawyer mm-hmm. you're going to become romance writer because at the time I thought who does this right <laughs> um and basically within a week of having written the first few chapters of this story Mm-hmm. I find out about the RT Romance Convention. 
Mm-hmm. So the art and I go look it up. And that year, the conference is in Kansas City. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going. This is a sign, right? Absolutely. This is a sign that I'm supposed to do this and I need to go. And I went to the conference and I went to readers groups and writers group. And by the time I left that weekend long event, I was hooked. And I said to myself, I'm coming back next year with the book that's finished that I can pitch to editors and agents. And that was my Mm. goal. Wow. Wow. So you actually like pitch. This is before, I think this is probably before online pitch events and stuff like right. that. So you right. you were able to actually pitch your book in person uh, to editors. So what was that like going to this convention and pitching like this idea that you had in person and what kind of, would you rec- recommend that like now versus like back then? I, I think there's value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned, it, it's done a little different now. And there's so much that people can do online. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a little scary. I, I will say that to, to do it for the first time is scary. And I, I've been in corporate boardrooms with some big wigs. I, I've done major cases. I've done a lot of big stuff. I was nervous. So <laughs> one of the first thing I tell people is you're going to be nervous especially right. the first few times you do it, you just got to prep and you have to move through the fear because I was nervous and there's an art form to it. And I'm not sure yet that I'm even really great at it. Uh, it was a nerve wracking process and I don't particularly like it <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't. Anybody does. <laughs> no, because you have to like synthesize the core of this story down to a couple of sentences and wow somebody in a few minutes, right? Yeah, yes. The and they sit there and mm-hmm. look at you with this blank look on your their face. <laughs> and you're like, well, are you feeling me? Which tempts you to want to keep talking. One mm-hmm. of the things I did learn after a few of them was to make your pitch and shut up, right? Mm-hmm. Be quiet. Wait for them to say something or ask a question. Don't ramble because then your story gets lost in your rambling. I actually had a little bit of success that first time. I got some asks mm-hmm. and the story that I had was pretty much finished when I went. I will admit I still had some work to do on it. It wasn't finished, finished. Right. But that year was the year that Cherry Adair also launched her writing course. It was like a pre-event to the RT conference. So that second year I went, I went early and did her writing conference. And with some one-on-one and plotting help for her, I untangled a few of the plot lines and I knew mm-hmm. I could polish it up for any any ask I received or request for the manuscript I got right. at that event. So that was my foray into trying to start in the traditional publishing field. Okay. Uh, I ultimately did not release that book through a traditional publisher, though. Okay. Okay. And why did you, why did, what was the decision behind that? Like not going the traditional route? There were several factors for me. And part of that for me is because of my intellectual property background oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. my work doing contract law and licensing mm-hmm. 
copyrights and licensing trademarks and doing media deals and distributing deals, I understood the business and the numbers behind the contracts that were being passed around at the time. And there were things in traditional publishing contracts that I wasn't prepared to give up for what they were offering at the time. Mm, And there were things that I knew from looking at royalty rates and understanding the numbers. And there were lots of author groups. So because by the time I went to the second conference, I was a member of RWA. So you get people's numbers, you're getting that information and figuring out what people were making off of those contracts as someone who practiced business law and actually has done entrepreneur coaching through several foundations here locally. I figured I can make that much money on my own. Now, I may not go bestseller, but I can figure (laughs) this out enough to make that much money on my own and still Mm -hmm. have my copyrights. So right. if I can hold on to my copyrights, I know how to hire an editor. I know how to go out and hire a graphic designer. I know what to ask for and how to keep the right rights. Right. right. And then I'll write five, six, seven books. And eventually when I do go big and people want to go back and read those books, it's all mine. Right. 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 And right. That's where my head was at because I just was not happy with where the industry was. And as bad as it was for most authors, it was worse for authors of color. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so I think, I think you point out like a valuable lesson of like choosing you first. (laughs) Right. And, And like in choosing ultimately your happiness first, because I think because you have a lot of writers I know I don't have that background of like what the contracts look like and so I guess what what you know what glitters isn't always gold right um, for people um so that just gives gives me a really interesting perspective on how you're like no I want to you know own everything that I have it's like being a a musician and owning your masters basically right exactly Um, yeah so so that like that gives me a lot of perspective so so the first, like, I think you have four books out, four books out, where they, those were all done independently, correct? Three of them are independent. The fourth independent. one is the one that's on pre-order right now, mm-hmm. and that will be released in December, and that's mm-hmm. my first historical romance. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one later, because I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about that one. Yeah, but I- <laughs> so, so three out, ready to go. I've got a few that are partially finished that I kind of shelved um, when things kind of exploded in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. And also my children hit the high school level and my children Mm -hmm. were very busy and I was doing it alone. And Mm. the next level I wanted to get to, I needed to have time to plan a release and plan a launch and do the marketing. Mm -hmm. And I knew I only could do that in a half half-hearted way I didn't have the time to commit to what I knew I needed to do so rather than do it half 
half-heartedly, mm-hmm. I put everything on pause, but mm. continued to network and stay in the industry and see what was going on and, you know, watched RWA implode and all that, <laughs> but mm. kept going to conferences. And then last year, I um, went to a conference and had the opportunity to pitch an idea to Liz Pelletier of Entangled Publishing. Mm-hmm. And I had encountered Liz before, and most of the time I would leave conferences and I'd leave sessions going, yeah, that's not the company. Yeah, that's not the right one. And mm-hmm. one of the things I loved about Liz, having seen her before that two years ago at the um, RSJ convention in Kansas City, is that she's the ultimate entrepreneur. hmm and she likes to run her business like an entrepreneur. She wants her authors to be entrepreneurs. Well, that's mm-hmm. who I am. I'm creative, right. but I'm a creative right. person with an entrepreneur's background. Yeah. So I was looking for someone who got the creative, but was going to make this a business because my goal is ultimately to do nothing but write full time. Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. But that's my goal. I didn't start this as a hobby. I'm going to write a book now and then it's going to be cool because I could say I have a book out. Mm-hmm. I want to be somebody who publishes books for a living and, and turns those books into motion pictures and has somebody mm-hmm. pick up a series for a television mm-hmm. streaming. And Absolutely. I have a big goal. I've got mm-hmm. a big dream. And I believe that she got that and she's willing to make that happen. And it's not one of the things that was very common back in the day that has finally really started to dismantle was all the black authors were put in what I used to call the ghetto, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we were put in the ghetto because Harlequin mm-hmm. had one specific line and all the black writers got to go in. That was Kamani. Kamani, yes, yes. And if you wrote anything and you were black, it went in Kamani. Because mm-hmm. you couldn't have the other lines. And mm-hmm. the, I would ask them in the forums and in the, the workshops they do, well, could you at least break up Kamani? Because other lines, even their, their what they call their inspirational line, had different lines. There was yeah. suspense, right? There was the suspense line. And then there was the historical line. And then there was the, this. They had all these lines. Right. But when Kamani came... All the inspirational, the romantic suspense, the contemporary, all of it went into one category, one lump sum. Dumped in one pile, yeah. Dumped in one pile. When you went to the bookstore, right, there was the romance section, and then there was the black section. Yeah, I was just talking about that with somebody. I was like, I was recently in the, the, like a half-off books or something, and this is no shade to half-off books, but you know, I was looking for specific romance books and it was stuck in the African-American fiction section. I was like, but it's a romance. Why is it not over here in the big romance section? You know, it's like, like you said, we were being segregated. We were being um, segregated. And, yeah, yeah. And even the digital publishers, as they started to come along, wanted to mm-hmm. put all the Black people in one section. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to go in the ghetto. <laughs> I kept saying, yeah. Well, you know, if you take this book, are you going to publish me through this? Because I wrote it for this line. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I 
interesting story. I, I digress. I'll try not to digress too much. No, but too. when I finished Counselor Undone and came away from the, well, actually, when I came away from the Kansas City event with three chapters basically written for Counselor Undone, right? Mm-hmm. Someone told me about the Harlequin So You Think You Can Write contest. Yeah, yeah. So I left my first RT convention in 2012, found out about the conference, polished my first chapter, and submitted Mm -hmm. it to the contest, okay? Mm -hmm. But my goal was to be published in one of their mainstream lines. Now, Mm -hmm. I read Kamani. A lot of my favorite romance authors were Kamani authors, Farrah Rashawn, Naim Simone, I think, had right. a couple, right? Um, right. I, I would read them. Right. But I submitted my story for Desire because I was like, well, if I'm going to go Harlequin, I want to go Harlequin different. I don't want to be in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. And I made the top 10 finalist. Right. And the thing was, is when you make the finals, you had to submit a full manuscript. Mm-hmm. full manuscript wasn't done yet remember I went to the conference <laughs> partial manuscript and it was so like just taking like a wild chance yeah, I, mean, it was like, I was like oh my god like, well, right? they, do, they tell us not so, to do but you were doing all the stuff they tell us not to do <laughs> so you I, I submitted the first chapter and then they picked 50 and that year it was worldwide right so there were manuscripts mm-hmm. calling from all over the world and they picked 50 and you had to get them a full manuscript by a certain date. And if I remember mm-hmm. right, I had about six or seven days because it was over a holiday weekend. So it must have been a Thanksgiving weekend because for some reason I remember it was a holiday weekend. So I didn't have to like I, everything was shut down, didn't have any client business. I could just work on the manuscript. Right. Mm-hmm. And I basically was like, by hook or crook, I'm finishing this because I'm turning in this <laughs> manuscript. Right. So I pulled some all nighters and I was drinking caffeine and I was turning on music <laughs> and dance around to keep me awake because I'm like, I got to finish this. And even though there were several moments where I just dropped my head on the desk and thought, oh my God, what was I thinking? Right. I got it in, right? Mm-hmm. And from the 50, they narrowed it down to 10. And I made the top 10. Mm. And I was so happy and I was so excited. And so that to me was a major accomplishment. And it was also part of that voice that says, how bad do you want it, right? Right, right. And I went for it and all the things aligned, right? Like if that hadn't been a holiday weekend, I don't know if I would have got that done, <laughs> right? So right? The stars all aligned. And ultimately, even though I got all this positive um, feedback and they loved it and it's the perfect desire and all this it, ultimately they didn't take the book so mm-hmm. I had it left over to do what I wanted to do with it and I ended up expanding it because desires books are kind of short so I ended mm-hmm. up expanding it and adding some scene ideas I had but couldn't fit into the require the word requirement because those are shorter books mm-hmm. and then expanded it into a full length novel and mm-hmm. uh, I love it I, I still love that novel but mm-hmm. uh, it, I, the interesting thing is it was originally written as a Harlequin desire and then I expanded it and made it into a novel when the Harlequin deal did not work out 
wow like you've had like this like roller coaster experience like with publishing like from you know entering contests and pitching and manuscripts and going independent and now going back with a uh, publishing company like how has that like from your first book to now how has that kind of changed your perspective of like the whole publishing process one of the things that's changed for me and it still makes me a little nervous, right? Mm-hmm. It's when it's indie, when it's my book and I get to say when it's done and it's going out, mm-hmm. then I'm also working with the editors and I have ultimate decision of what stays in the book and what doesn't, right? Right, right. And as somebody who likes control, that makes me feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I listened to your podcast with Lucy Eden and she talked about, right, that when you're indie, you're in control of everything. Absolutely. So for some of us who are control freaks, that works really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So having to let go of a story and say, okay, now they get to decide which part of this story really works and doesn't, it's a little nerve wracking. Because mm. now you're going, oh, but are they, are they going to cut that scene I like? Or did they like that? Or mm-hmm. even worse, sometimes you feel like I sh- you, you didn't have time to fix the scene you wanted to, to fix. And so you're b- biting your tongue and you're crossing your fingers, hoping they don't come back and be like, you, you're joking, right? Did you even right. edit it? you know so now your ego is on the line and you're nervous and you're racking so having someone else in control of the final edit in a story is a little nerve-wracking but Mm -hmm. I really like the people I work with at Entangled and Mm -hmm. I've come to really appreciate their understanding of a story and what sells and and their record and making bestsellers and they truly have a commitment that they market everybody the same they don't care what Mm. color or ethnicity you are when you Mm -hmm. write Mm -hmm. characters marketing is marketing is marketing and Mm -hmm. that is what ultimately got me to say okay i'm gonna try a traditional publisher okay okay because you, you felt more like they advocated for you and advocated for your writing right. um, versus, you know, your other experiences where they were just kind of like, we're going to just throw you all into one pile and just see what, right. <laughs> and see I what happens. I knew I wasn't going to be in the ghetto. And <laughs> um, I hope no one takes offense to me using that terminology because I'm from the inner city. I grew up in the hood. I, I understand what it's really like. But truly, mm-hmm. we were segregated in the industry blatantly openly and regularly for decades i mean that and, is the definition of ghetto or what a right. ghetto is <laughs> i mean yeah and so now people are being a little bit broader minded and they're opening it up but one of the things i noticed with entangled that they always seem to do this this isn't a new thing their mm-hmm. challenge was they didn't have very many authors of color in their company Mm -hmm. um and now they've really paid attention to wow i don't think people consciously recognize the subconscious biases that make them gravitate toward their own or only go to places where white authors are only do there's certain things that perpetuated those situations and 
with Entangled, there's a commitment to not just do what we've always done so that they can bring in a wider variety of stories. And if you look at what they've published over the last year, they're working hard to bring you a wide range of stories from a wide range of authors and they're marketing them all the same. So I know I'm not going in the ghetto. Mm -hmm. Now that said, I also feel, well, then I also have a responsibility, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're going to get out and you're going to be in the traditional and you're going to be there, you also have to deliver the story. Right. So that's also part of the nerve-wracking process of working with the traditional publisher is that I hope that what I give them is not they're in the back room as they're deciding what to do with this story or the editors are talking or whatever going, yeah, that was an okay story. But, you know, we have <laughs> to let it go because, you know, we're mm -hmm. not used to this. That's not what I want. I want them to make mm -hmm. my story shine. And mm -hmm. we're not thinking about, I'd like to say we're not thinking about race. Although, you know, if you look at my cover, you kind of got to think about race. <laughs> But, yeah, but yeah, you, you understand what I'm saying that of course there's yeah. there's we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, right? And mm -hmm. and having diversity not being inclusion because right. it's not just putting us at the table, it's accepting all that we are and bring to the table and allowing us full participation. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what I'm looking for and hoping for, and I'm pretty confident I'm going to get with where I am right now is not just diversity, but inclusion. Absolutely. And it seems like through your whole career, like you've been like this advocate for inclusion and this mainstream for us to be quote unquote, part of the mainstream. Right. And like you say, not set aside and just, you know, pigeonholed into, into some, you know, small little sect of of uh, writers. Do you think that's like a really common trap for writers of color, especially those who are aspiring writers? Because I, I say that because I, I hear the conversation with a lot of up-and-coming writers. They're like, I just don't want to be pigeonholed as that Black writer. I yes. just want to write, I just want to write romance that everybody like. And this is no shade to anybody who does interracial, but I feel a lot of um especially aspiring Black writers, feel like, well, I can't have two Black protagonists. It's not going to work. I'm going to just do interracial so I can sell, or I'll just not mention race at all, and mm -hmm. it, it'll sell. And I, do you feel like that's kind of like a trap that aspiring writers get into? Um, I think or, or... some do. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm listening. No, I think some do. And the challenge for for them is that there was a time period where they where they were right where mm -hmm. you know if you wrote two black characters and wanted to be something different or break out of the mainstream or, or get a bigger deal you couldn't have two black characters mm -hmm. because if you had two black characters they were going to limit um, your advance, if they gave you any, they were going to limit your distribution. They were going to limit your print and they were going to put you in this tiny little box because <laughs> they didn't know what else to do with you. Mm -hmm. And it, it's interesting in that um, Counselor Undone is 
actually an interracial novel. And mm-hmm. a lot of people go, well, did you do that to get it published? I said, interesting enough, no, that's the way the story came to me because these are right. two high-powered lawyers in a major firm. And having had the experience of living that life, you yeah. very rarely find Black guys mm-hmm. right up in there. Mm-hmm. There's two, maybe three Black people in a, <laughs> in a firm of hundreds of people. And, right. you know, every firm I was at that happened to have a Black guy who may have been kind of high up in the thing, he was married. Mm-hmm. I'm like they, they don't get to walk around those were unicorns right right and you know a lot of them especially those who were also married to a black woman is somebody who was their high school sweetheart or they knew from college they've been together for yeah. a while right, right and they've right. grown up together through the ranks and so interestingly enough even though I was in corporate America at that time I almost hate to say this. People ain't going to want to buy my books. But I was actually dating a white guy. And it was the first time in my life that I had like had a serious multiple dates relationship with a white guy. Mm-hmm. I'd gone out to dinner or out with a guy, right? But nothing serious. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was in a serious relationship um, with the white guy. That's not why the hero came to me that way. But right, right. that was the nature of the world I had created. And for it to be realistic, that's what worked. And that was your experience, period. He, yeah, was on, he, yeah. he was the future managing partner of the firm. Mm-hmm. He was going to be a white guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah. And that's so, real. and for me, the interesting thing about that experience is I actually met women when I was marketing that first book at some reader conferences that were primarily filled with black readers and I got taken to task for that man oh some of our readers don't like it like how could you and I don't read interracial and blah you know Mm -hmm. and I really had to sit down with the reader after a panel who kept asking the hard questions and she really couldn't wrap her mind around this and mm-hmm. they were like black love and all this and, and <laughs> I believe in black love I do mm-hmm. and I, I have several friends who've been married for over 20 years and they're lawyers and they're both lawyers are there one's a lawyer and one's a corporate person right they're mm-hmm. there but I'm divorced <laughs> right and so I'm sitting talking to this woman. I said, you're trying to tell me, right, that relationships mm-hmm. with black men are all the rage. And you're talking to a woman whose relationship with a black man didn't go so well. <laughs> right. And I'm not saying yours can't. But this notion that every black couple that gets together is going to make it is not realistic. Right. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. And I, so, I, yeah, yeah. I, I look at people and go, I believe in black love. And mm-hmm. so, I have stories I'm writing where both characters are black. Mm-hmm. But in the first couple of books I wrote, the first one, because that's the way the story came to me, the second one, that may have been a result of the fact of the relationship I was in at the time. So, it mm-hmm. made sense that that next hero but it was also that's the sports romance so it's in the football world so 
you know, having and, and he was a quarterback, right? He was a quarterback, and so we can name how many black quarterbacks story, we got. <laughs> you didn't have a lot of black quarterbacks. Exactly, right? we didn't have many. Yeah, we got some now, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, but ten years then, ago, no. Right. So, and that was my thing. You hardly saw a black quarterback and he was a quarterback. So again, it made sense for that world for him to be a white guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now there are people in the team who ultimately I'd like to get back to writing who Mm -hmm. will shift that and there'll be multiple relationships across race and black and black and white and black and um, mm-hmm. I've got an idea for a character who you know biracial and you'll see a lot of mixed race people in my works as well mm-hmm. and again because that's my experience I come from a mm-hmm. family where you know sometimes we get together for a holiday and you're going to look at you know United Nations I got the half <laughs> black half white over there I've got uh, cousins who were born and raised abroad in England because my uncle was in the military, right? Mm-hmm. So when they talk to you, you're going to hear a Brit- uh, British accent, right? So mm-hmm. so for me, it's, a, it's normal to have that hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. So I'm just hopeful that Black readers will give us the opportunity to write a story and take us to task, not for just the race of the characters, but how true we are to the story and because, I think, yeah, yeah yeah and I think in addition to that I think black readers also need to be open to the idea that the black experience is so vast and different and diasporically speaking you know I don't think that's a real word but I'm gonna say it is um, <laughs> I like it though. diasporically <laughs> speaking you know we're so we're everywhere like yeah. there's probably not a continent on this earth that we're not there. So I mean, you know, our experiences are vast culturally, you know, dynamically, whatever, you know what I'm saying? So I think that the other thing is black readers need to be open and aware that our experiences as black people can 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 greatly vary from place to place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that said, I mean, I was writing them from the point of the story and the world that the characters needed to be in. And that's what felt authentic to me. Mm -hmm. I think as part of your question revealed, there are some authors writing it because, oh, it's the rage. It's the hot thing. If I write that, I can. And I think there's danger in that. If that's Mm -hmm. not really what you want to write, because writing as to get a specific outcome to me, changes the nature of the story you write. Mm -hmm. And I am hopeful that whatever race my characters are, that I can bring the authentic story there and not be going, oh, well, this will sell more books if I make him white or if I make him uh, uh, Latino or Hispanic Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't want to do that. I want my characters to be who they are because it makes sense in whatever world I've built or created. And I think it's mm-hmm. important for aspiring authors to have the confidence to do the same thing. Because yes. if someone's not going to take your story, that's not the right place for your story anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think readers can see through that lack of authenticity when, when you can tell when somebody's just writing stuff just to be 
you know, trying to sell right. books or ideas or whatever, right. just to get it out there versus telling a true and authentic story that they feel passionate about. We just can see right through that. And I right. think that's, you know, what makes writers like yourself and others stand apart when they're, they do a story that are authentic and, and they're passionate about um, what they do. So, I mean, you, you mentioned before that you're a single mom, um, you're a lawyer, uh, you work, you work, you do contract work and stuff. How in the world, especially now during this pandemic, how in the world did you balance all of that and writing, and you know, potentially working from home if you had to work from home and things like that with like you know writing or marketing and whatever else you had to do, you know, publishing wise. Paper planner, two words. <laughs> I'm a paper planner. I am a planner addict. I am a planner mm-hmm. fanatic like 20 some years of planner attic life that's me Mm -hmm. i first got seriously serious into the planner life as a new practicing lawyer because Mm -hmm. i needed some i'd always had a planner started in college having to note stuff and got my first file of facts right you know in high school you had a little agenda notebook but got to mm-hmm. college and had had the real thing right went and bought my personal size file of facts and and that was enough but once I started practicing you got to keep time sheets and all that so I needed a planner I discovered um Franklin Covey because mm-hmm. I graduated law school shortly after or right around the time he published the seven habits of highly effective people right so when you bought that book, you have the opportunity to then go to this online store and buy some of his planning and time management resources, which included the Franklin Covey Leadership Planner. So I started mm-hmm. with that. And then I started practicing in Los Angeles and a black legal secretary who worked at the firm I was at saw that I used a planner and asked me if I like the Franklin Quest store. And I'm like, what's the Franklin Quest store, right? <laughs> and so she took me to the Franklin Quest store and I went down a rabbit hole, right? With the matching <laughs> agendas and the matching bag to go with the agenda cover. But that said, eventually, you know, the two merged and it became Franklin mm-hmm. Covey. So what people mm-hmm. know is Franklin Covey. I'm old enough. See, I'm, I'm dating myself here. But they were two <laughs> separate companies once upon a time. <laughs> right. right. And, so, and so I truly followed Stephen R. Covey's process and his thing about setting out your your roles in your life and your goals and planning mm-hmm. according to and making sure you're putting the big rocks on your to-do list first and you're looking at what you want to accomplish in life and what you want to leave as a legacy and it's not just appointment 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 so Mm -hmm. that's the system I use to manage my life and I was at a point where I was prioritizing my children because they were at a crucial age and I realized something's got to give Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was actually downsized from my corporate job, working from home for a while and doing a lot of consulting. Um, a lot of things were done on over the phone or via email. We hadn't really gotten to Zooming yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this was pre-COVID. But I rarely had to see a client. And when I did, I just went to their office. So I was working from home and actually getting a little stir crazy. 
because I pretty much <laughs> didn't see anybody, but my kids would come home and I thought I need to talk to somebody besides my kids. <laughs> so I started substitute teaching mm. in the school district I had recently moved my kids to. So when I was practicing full-time corporate America, they were in private school. Mm-hmm. A year or so out of that, I thought, okay, I can't keep them in private school. Or I'm going to have no savings left. <laughs> So I moved to a better school district, put them in public school. But so I knew what was going on and could keep tabs on this new Mm -hmm. school system. I started substitute teaching Mm -hmm. in the school district because that allowed me to pick what dates I wanted to go in. I got to know people in the district, got to know administrators and teachers. Well, as you said, I advocate for diversity and inclusion and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So my daughter finally starts at her high school and they have an African-American studies course on the books that year after year after year never seems to get offered. Mm. (laughs) So I started lobbying the principal, like, what's the deal? You got to get this taken care of and, you know, be nice if you had some teachers of color in the building and all this other stuff. And eventually he asked me, fine, you think we want to offer it? You find enough kids to take the course. I'll give you a contract to teach it on a contract basis. Mm. So Mm. I started teaching in the school and Mm. then they wanted me to come full time. And at first I'm like, no, 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 no. Right. And then I thought, well, you know, school's out at a certain time. I'm home at the end of the day with my kids. It's Mm -hmm. less money, but they'll pay my benefits so that can balance out. And then I can write more, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, that's not how it worked out. So believe (laughs) it or not, I am high school teaching right now. And I teach English language arts and African-American studies. So last year, as a full-time teacher, guess what hit? COVID. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Crazy. It's like, I, I would have rather have been working 60 hours a week in the law firm than to do <laughs> what I had to do as a teacher during COVID. So mm-hmm. that really got dicey. And so, I mean, it sounds like I digress, but to say I had to put all those balls in the air and mm-hmm. the only way I do that is I, I plan and I plan quarterly and I put goals down and I reevaluate my long-term goals and say, what should I not do? And because I can see a week at a time, a month at a time, mm-hmm. a quarter at a mm-hmm. time, I mm-hmm. can make decisions about what needs to go and what needs to stay. Right. 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 So there are certain things that I will say no to because both my children are track athletes. So when championship mm. season comes, I have to be ready to travel to track meets in different places. Oh, so yeah. I just came back from Michigan about a week and a half ago because my oldest daughter um, made nationals for the D2 tra- championships. Ooh. So I went there to watch her compete in her first ever season of, of being a heptathlete. And awesome. she got seventh and became an All-American. So, wow. but I have that pre like I have the track schedule on my planner in, in, in my monthlies. And so when people say, Hey, I need you to do it. No, that's track season. Can't do it. Or, you know, no, this is, this is going to, this is exam season and at the high school and I'm going to be grading a lot. Can't do it. So Mm -hmm. then 
when you know what your obligations are, you find pockets of time to do the other things you have. Put the big rocks in first. Right. Then do other things. And there becomes a time where that shifts because, okay, deadline for a book. And I got to go, okay, you know, and the kids are like, hey, let's go here. Yeah, not that week. I got to finish a book. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) But because I prioritize them when it's important, then they allow me to take the time I need when it's important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm such an advocate of paper planners too. I, I have, I have, um, I'm a happy planner one person, oh, so me. I have a happy planner. <laughs> yep, so I have a happy planner, and or I, I've been, I've been going back and forth between happy planner and like a rec- recollections and like a paper house, but I'm mostly a happy planner planner. Yeah. Uh, like you know, I, I, I definitely am very organized down to a T. And people don't understand how paper planners super duper save your life and your time yes. um, with, with things. It's, it's amazing. So, so let's talk about the new book that's coming out. <laughs> yeah. First of all, the cover. First, when did you have time to write this book with everything going on, high school teaching and track and field and all of that? How in the world did you have time to write this book? And where did this concept come from? Never cross a Highlander with this gorgeous black man on the cover of your of your okay. book in a kilt and dread I, I just when I saw it I was like oh my god let me pre-order this right now <laughs> all I can say is I got this cover this is the first cover I have not had control over okay but it's perfect <laughs> it, it, I, and I'm going to tell you that I got this cover back and I thought oh my god these are my people <laughs> because <laughs> I was like in love now there is a process where you tell them you, you give them your basic storyline. They ask you about what your hero's like, what he looks like, what he's specific are, you know, what else do they need to know? Are there any? So I gave them this sort of, you know, background of who this guy was, who his heroine was, what mm-hmm. he's like, what his personality was like, what, what mm-hmm. was going to be key to the story. And then they went and did their magic and out popped this. And... <laughs> Um, this cover is done by a woman named LJ, who's done a lot mm-hmm. of really cool covers that mm-hmm. I like. And I don't, didn't find that out till after the fact, because I had to know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I don't know who did this cover. Um, mm-hmm. But it is per- this is so, like, if you look at the book cover and say, what's the vibe of this story? It's you there. know. It's, mm-hmm. it's all that, that mm-hmm. is, that's the story. And mm-hmm. he is a badass, right? Mm-hmm. He's a badass. He's an army commander. He don't have time for women except to take care of certain physical needs. And that's all he he needs them (laughs) for. Right. Because he got an army to run and he's going to make the strongest army in Scotland. And and right. And so we've we've got this. But of course, there's going to be a heroine that comes along. (laughs) And, you know, but when they first meet, things don't go so well. So I tell people it's kind of an enemies to lover, even though they just don't like each other, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we find out a little later that there's more enemies than we knew going on, right? right? Right, Um, right. But the cover was so perfect. Um, Writing the story, however, was hard to get done. And I think this comes back to what we were talking about is it you, you got to write 
really what you love and what's authentic to you because Mm -hmm. there was fatigue. My youngest daughter actually got COVID in March and I had to get her through that. And we were hybrid teaching and teaching Mm. classes multiple times because half the students were there one day and then half the students weren't. And then they went back full-time face-to-face and took away all, almost all of our personal professional development time. And it was like, I would come home some nights and be exhausted, just exhausted. Mm. And I Mm. thought, oh my God, if I write now, how can I do this story? Mm. And had to find these pockets here and there, but I loved the storyline. Right. I just Mm -hmm. there's part of me. The hero's name is Callum McNeil. Mm -hmm. And there are parts of me where I thought, I got to go spend some time with Callum tonight. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let me get this person to me because Mm -hmm. I love this hero. And he's a little bit different than any hero I brought. He's still alpha. Right. But there's Mm -hmm. an odd edge to him that comes up again because we have black people in Scotland. So people right. often ask me, black people, in, like they look at me like black people in Scotland, Lisa. <laughs> right, right. Like, and I'm like, about? guess what? There were black people in Scotland in mm-hmm. medieval times, okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the story really came up because I love historical romance. It was mm-hmm. my first. Although I read more contemporary romance and romantic suspense now Mm-hmm. Historical romance was my first love. Mm-hmm. I love a good Highlander romance. I yes. always have. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite Highlander series is a trilogy by Maya Banks. And it's got the, um, oh, which which brothers are, are they? The, I have to, it, I'm, I'm dying here. But the first book in the series is called In Bed with a Highlander. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is Seduction of a Highland Lass. And then the third brother's book is, I believe it's I Highlander it's like, Most think, Wanted. I think, no. it, I think it's Never McCabe. Love a Highlander. That's it. Never Love yeah, a Highlander. I, yeah. I think it's McCabe or McCabe yes. or something like yes. that. McCabe. The McCabe yeah. brothers. The McCabe brothers. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. really, really love that series. And when I was talking with my editor about, you know, what I wanted to write as we got into historical, she was looking for a, a Western book, a cowboy romance. And I agreed mm-hmm. to that. So she actually contracted me for that first. So you're actually going to see a Western romance for me. And oh, right nice. now it's actually scheduled to come out first, but because like, because the Highlander book is a mass market paperback, there are certain things you got to do a little mm-hmm. quicker than you do with a digital first title. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, well, you know, what, what do you want to, what do you want to put in your mass market paperback slot? You know, but she still wanted to be historical. She's, she's going to build my historical portfolio. And I said, I really would love to write a Black Highlander. Mm-hmm. And she paused for a minute. And, and this is why I love Liz, right? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. would be like, that's not realistic. And there were no Black people in Scotland. And why would you yeah. want to do that? And Liz yeah. simply looked at me and says, well, were there Black people in Scotland then? I said, <laughs> yes. I said, I don't know that period well, however, because I teach African-American studies. So the colonial period and the Western period, I teach that. So I'm like, I got mm-hmm. that fine. you know. But Scotland, right, I right. had to go do the research. But there was part of me that thought, 
the African diaspora was broad. And I know for sure that it hit Scotland as well because mm-hmm. there were mm-hmm. islands outside of Scotland that were worked by African slaves. And right. I'm like, well, where did they go? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, so she said, okay, go for it. I mean, she just <laughs> like, right? Um, That's awesome. And so I had to do the research. So there's a lot of research and I still don't feel like I probably did enough research. <laughs> but you, I, I did enough research to understand where the captives were moved to Mm -hmm. and and after the Africans were enslaved how they were moved what they were moved and then I just had to build a story around that that was plausible because there actually aren't a lot of records of the enslaved people that were in the Scotland area there's some notes Mm -hmm. about um blacks who were in the court of king james the sixth um and his father and and so i took some of that and built the storyline around it and i i i just really love it i think it's a fun story (laughs) and i think it was um a work of love and i think i needed a story that i was that passionate about bringing to life to write during COVID, because right. it was tough it was right, really right tough. right i mean yeah. it sounds like it's amazing like i already like i said i already pre-ordered it like the blurb got me when it was like dirty harry and a killed me <laughs> mr and mrs smith i was like what i was like that sounds ridiculous i have to have this book <laughs> and it's funny because <laughs> i saw them book. put that up there where they put the pre-order i'm like what because when they asked me like what's it like like give us an idea what the vibe is like and i just mm-hmm. kind of threw that out there and i'm like oh my god they put that out there for the public <laughs> to see <laughs> see i think that's what a, that would really attract people and not to mention like i said the gorgeous cover it's like, yeah. okay, what in the world is this book about? So yeah. that definitely like like drew me to it. And like, I cannot wait for it to come out. It, it comes out in December, correct? December so, 28th, yes. Yeah, this is definitely going to be part of our Romance and Color like fall, winter reads. So we'll let, we'll let people know that it's, it, it's on the list. Already ahead of time, don't ask me. It's going to be on the list. I'm going to yeah. read it. I'm going to let y'all know all about it. Um, and so it's definitely going to be on the list. So it's okay. We're coming to the fun part of the interview. Uh oh. Um, it's fun. No, no, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> we wrap it up, but I kind of give like questions, kind of like James Lipton style inside the actor studio style, where I ask you kind of rapid fire questions. They're fun, little quick interactive questions. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about certain things in writing that you enjoyed or don't okay. enjoy. So do you like writing heroes or villains? Heroes. Heroes. Okay. Heroes. Sometimes they have a villainous edge, but I like the heroes. <laughs> do you write like like writing love scenes or like dramatic arguments or suspenseful situations? Okay. Like I would say dramatic arguments. <laughs> right. You gotta do the love scenes though. But I leave those for last. So I like to write the arguments because I, I can write an argument easier than I can write a love scene. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um your favorite place to write. The public library. Hmm. Really? Really? It's not, it's not too too quiet. No, I and modern libraries are a little noisier than they used to be, but That's I was true. a library kid and I grew up in the library. And so when I was trying to finish 
counselor undone the larger version of it and I was really getting stuck I needed to get out of my house and out of the away from my desk and I went to the public library and every once in a while I would need something and the librarian would find it for me or you know I'd ask her a question and she'd be oh I can get that right and it just became this place where I knew if I went there I'd get work done so I, I love writing at the public library. Oh, that's good. So, okay. So do you or do you not read book, your book reviews? <laughs> Currently, I read them. I keep oh being told I should not read them. <laughs> but um, the, the downside is I don't have a lot right now. That's mm-hmm. par for the course for indies, especially indies of color, is finding mm-hmm. that tribe that doesn't just read your stuff, but gives you... <laughs> Right, right. Written reviews, but and I read a few that was like, ooh, (laughs) but I read them. I read them because I kind of want to know what the readers are thinking. Okay. Um, Do you like? First of all, first question: Do you do you enjoy movies? And if so, what is the best book to movie translation that you've like seen? Oh, I I love movies. Love Mm -hmm. movies. I'm a total Marvel fanatic. And I use those plots as storylines to actually teach storytelling and plot in my high school <laughs> classes. Um, but best, and see, I'm that's hard because I'm definitely a read the book first, mm-hmm, and sometimes too. read the book instead. And I'm afraid to go to the movie. <laughs> yeah. But I'd probably say, hope I'm not gonna get dragged for this either. Harry Potter. And I know there's some, I know there's some, you know, controversy around the author right now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that was one of the first books, even with the the minor changes they made for the cinema, where mm. what I envisioned in my head when I read the book looked almost exactly like what they yeah, put on. Pretty right? close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was the book I read, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. For that reason, I would say that's my best book to movie. Okay. What's the last romance novel that you read? Okay. <laughs> this was actually a reread. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and so we mentioned Naima Simone. So mm-hmm. I recently, just a few days ago, reread Scoring the Player's Baby by Naima mm-hmm. Simone. And um, I don't know if you're familiar. This is one of her. This is one of her hot ones, right? Yeah. This is one of her hot ones for Brazen Books at Entangled. And I was in a rut, and I needed a feel-good romance, and I knew I was gonna love the relationship between the people and love the hero and stuff. So I mm-hmm. reread that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently in the middle of reading, um, because I started right after that. Wild Rain by Beverly Jenkins. I've wanted oh. to read it and wanted to read it and wanted to read it. I haven't yes. had time and I was putting it off like you got to finish this, you got to finish it. And then finally this weekend, I'm like, I, okay, it's time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I bought Wild Rain. And so I'm I'm just a little ways into that one though. I finished, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it, I I was weeping at the end. I, I oh, was no. like, okay. yeah. say, it was good weeping, but it, okay. I, weeping. I loved it. It was amazing. But I love I love like Western type. Yes, yeah, so do that's I. my favorite. I love I love that. Um, do you write to music? And if so, um, what kind of music? Do you have playlists that you write for, like, uh, or pull up for like each novel? I have playlists like? for each novel. Interestingly, mm-hmm. though, I do not write to them. 
I cannot write to music, but I use music to set the mood or set the tone for certain characters. So my couples usually each have a theme song and they have generally at least two love songs. They have the falling in love song and they have that love song that to me sums up their intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. I cannot write the love scenes for a couple unless I have their love song. Oh, and wow. then I listen to that love song to write the like sex scene where, you know, even if they don't know it yet, they're in love with each other. Right, I, right. I write those scenes to the love songs, but I can't write any other scenes to music. I only use mm-hmm. it to like set up the tone and have an idea of who these people are. Um, for instance, like <laughs> you say it's funny, but Callum McNeil from Never Cross the Highlander. He has mm-hmm. a theme song. Mm-hmm. You, you you guess what it is? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean Scottish. I mean, is it something Scottish? It ain't something Scottish. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's totally more. It's an older song, contemporary. But just think about what I told you about him, right? Mm-hmm. And um, his theme song is bad. Oh, okay, okay. It's bad, and you have to listen to the music of that 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 thumping in the background, that doom 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 doom, and mm-hmm. it's weird because I was struggling with some character development for him, and I was driving. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think I was driving home from a track meet at night, <laughs> and I had my Michael Jackson playlist going because he's my guy, and the song came on, and I went. Oh my God. And I'm freaking out because I needed to not be in the car because I needed to take notes because as soon as mm-hmm. it came on, I, the bat, the whole battle scene at the end of this novel came to me as I listened to Michael Jackson sing bad. Oh, wow. All I could think about is that's him. Like your butt is mine. <laughs> exactly. And at the end it's like, who's bad? Right. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> No, I would not have picked bad. I was like, something Scottish? I don't know. <laughs> and I find that I have these playlists from YouTube where I listen to the Scottish music and stuff. Now, mm-hmm. I will say this, and this is this is an exclusive for your listeners. Oh, wow. Okay. I was probably halfway through, maybe more than halfway through, mm-hmm. the story when I found out that the BBC America had a series called The Musketeers. Mm-hmm. It only had three seasons, but it's basically the story of the Musketeers, and it's set around the same time in France as this period in Scotland. Right. And one of my favorite books, actually, of all time, is actually The Three Musketeers by mm. Alexandre Dumas, and I read it for the first time in French and love that book. But mm. it has that same kind of swashbuckling, sword-fighting vibe yes, that I wanted yes. for this. So if you go listen to the theme song from The Musketeers, Musketeer, I consider okay. that, that's on my playlist, as mm. sort of the theme song for this series, because that is exactly okay. the music, but I discovered it kind of late in, and then I was like, why did somebody tell me about this series? I just mm. got stumbled across it, and I love the series, and so that theme song, which has a little bit of a Scottish vibe, but it's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of adventure, but a little bit of playfulness too, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's also like the Dirty Harry vibe, right? He's a right. badass, but he has these one-liners that sometimes you're like, oh, Harry. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So would you have a favorite word that you use in your writing? Like something that you're like, I use this word a whole lot. <laughs> I've gotten better because I started keeping a list and over time crossing them out has helped me not write them. Mm-hmm. But I found when I was writing Highlander, I kept using the word yet. And I'll be like, la, 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 yet. I'm like, what is this yet thing? And when I finally went looking for it, I'm like, oh, Lord, too many yet in the novel. And I don't know where that came from. But maybe I shouldn't have admitted that because now somebody's going to review the book and they're going to say, she uses yet too much. I'd be like, no, no, no. I took them out. I took out as many as I could. But yeah, yet was giving me fits for this book. All right, so let's talk about this particular book. If you were to translate this book to a movie, who would you want to play the lead? Okay, it's funny you asked me that because just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a teacher colleague who knows I write romance. All of them don't know, mm-hmm. but who knows mm-hmm. I write romance and who knows I was writing this book. And we're walking out and my daughter was done with college. So she's there too. She's like 19. And she says, you know, have you thought about this as a movie? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And my daughter was like, and based on that cover, you need to have Michael B. Jordan because she's a Michael <laughs> B. Jordan fanatic. Oh, yes. And I'm not a that. fanatic. Yes. I like him, though. I think he's a great actor. But when she said that, there was something about that where I thought, hmm. Yeah, you know, he's got the right. Uh, he's got the right attitude. He's got the right demeanor. He can carry off the heavy character, but he can still be charming. Mm-hmm. So they, in my head, they've got me seeing Michael B. Jordan as the high the Callum McNeil from the Highlander so you know if I were to pick I'd probably say Idris but he's a little old for my character <laughs> right so there's, a, right. there's another character in the book that is gonna be based off Idris but for this particular one um I'd probably have to stick with my daughter's suggestion and be Michael B. Jordan it'd be like Killmonger in the kilt <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. I mean, you're so right. Okay, don't don't be mad if I steal that for Instagram Uh, post one day. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's It's totally yours. Um, So we talked about your advocacy about wanting romance to become more mainstream. What is your hope for romance and romance novels in like the next, say, 10 years? I think I think for some reason, with everything that's gone on, we've become a little too self-conscious about the content of romance. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of fun. There's still a lot of great stories. But there used to be a time where romance was totally about the couple and the happy ever after and the journey and the experience. And Mm -hmm. I would like to see we settle into a lot of the politics that are mm. around romance now and mm-hmm. we get to that point where it's just about the stories and it's an everyday occurrence that the covers and the authors all look like the rainbow of races mm-hmm. and ethnicities that make up the American citizens mm. um, and, and I'd like to see us go back where we can just get into enjoying romance and not thinking about who's being left out or who's missing or what the language is and just mm. fall back in love with romance stories mm. yeah and, and not putting people in, in the quote unquote ghetto 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put, put people in the ghetto. So when it's all said and done, what do you want readers to say about your books that you write? When your career is at its quote unquote end, what do you want people to say about all the books that you've written? I totally got lost in her stories. Mm. Mm. I want to write stories that people get lost in. Like, you know, you 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 start reading them and you're mm-hmm. supposed to go to bed and you like one more chapter. Oh yeah. man, okay, yeah. nope, I got to read one more yeah. chapter. And when you get to the end, you feel really good, but you, you kind of sad it's over, right? Mm-hmm. I want them to get lost in the story. Mm-hmm. And if I do that and I've delivered that reading experience for my readers, I'll have done my job and I'll be really happy. I, I got to, Miss Lisa, I got a feeling we're going to be like that with this Never Cross the Highlander. We are going to be like that. I'm going to probably text you like three in the, like two <laughs> at like three in the morning. Like, I'm still up reading this book. I need to be asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so this has been so so much fun um where can we all find you on social media and 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 what's next for you um besides never cross the hotline i know you said you mentioned the western coming up so. yeah there's a western coming up and the highlander book i hope you guys love it i hope you guys buy it because if you do there'll be a second book in that series Ooh. um so i i i really have to uh, go figure out what, where that story, I, I know the characters, but I, I'm working on where that story will go. Mm-hmm. And then um, we'll see how the Western goes. Um, there's a mm-hmm. potential to make that a series as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on social media, if you want to keep up with everything <laughs> on Instagram, I'm at author rain. So author in my last name. And I use the same handle on Twitter and my personal Facebook username okay. are all the same. So you can find me author there. Rain. But author if you rain, want, R-A-Y-N-E. yes, R-A-Y-N-E. But if mm-hmm. you want like my official uh, Facebook page, that's author Lisa rain mm-hmm. um, to find that. And I recently started a group. It's only got 16 people and we haven't done much with it because mm-hmm. I know I need a, a Facebook group where people where we can have book club meetings and all of that. So if people want to join that, I will be now that it's summer break and I'm away from the kids and I can get some sleep. I will be engaging with my readers on there and dropping Mm -hmm. some exclusive content and Mm -hmm. um, doing some fun stuff as we lead up to the release of Never Cross a Highlander. So just Mm -hmm. look for um, uh, Lisa's Rainmakers. That's what the group is called. Lisa's Rainmakers. And I spell rain, R-A-Y-N-E, because I'm making a play on my last name and the fact that I used to be a lawyer and write the big people who brought in the clients were called Rainmakers. So that's what I call my (laughs) fan group, the Rainmakers. All right. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been amazing. I learned so much. I enjoyed this conversation. I really don't want it to end. <laughs> but, but I know we're on a schedule, but I'm, I'm, yes. I will keep you here all night, but I'm not going to do that. So thank you so much for joining us here at Romance and Color. And I look forward to seeing you across the interwebs. <laughs> great. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great time. Thanks. Once again, I want to thank author Lisa Rain 
for joining me on the podcast. You can find her on all social media at author Lisa Rain. Um, also, don't forget to sign up for her Facebook group, which is Lisa's Rain Makers, R-A-Y-N-E Makers. Um, so you should get exclusive content and things leading up to the release of Never Cross a Highlander, which I am, oh my God, I am so excited about. Um, and that cover, whew, Jesus. But anyway, you guys, uh, thank you all for joining us here at Romance and Color. Stay tuned next week when we have another interview from another amazing author whose books you'll want to sink your teeth into. So um, happy reading, and I will talk to you all later. Bye.